Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porter, doctor of physical therapy, medical analyst at fantasypoints.com, physical therapist for the Minnesota Twins minor leaguers. I am here with a very special analytically driven guest. We just spent about 15, 20 minutes talking, getting to know each other a little bit, uh, a little bit better, at least more than on the Twitter sphere. He is a sharp dude. He's in his final year of residency. Gonna head over to Harvard. He was just at Stanford doing big things. Apparently, towards ACL, doing his own plan of care, which is incredible. I mean, not very many people could do that. He is Doctor Deepak Chona. He is over at Stanford. Thanks for coming on, Doc. He's at Sport MD Analysis. Anything else you want to plug? Did I did I get the general premise? You got the general premise. Um. Uh. Thanks for the intro. Um. You can find us on uh, Sportsman Analytics on any of the platforms, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram as well. But I am very excited to talk with you today, man. We've been going back and forth on Twitter for, I guess, a couple of years now. And uh, here we finally are. Here we are. So I'm excited to talk to you for a couple of different reasons. The first reason is all these fantasy guys that we're going to get to. So we're going to talk about Akers, Etienne, James Robinson, Saquon, Jameson Williams, Godwin Woods, OBJ Stafford. I mean, we got Dobbins, Winston Hopkins. We're going to hit all those guys. The second reason I'm excited to talk to you is because you live in this world, a part of the interprofessional dis- interdisciplinary team to bring athletes back from uh, injury. And that world, that performance world is something that I am super excited to continue to learn more about now that I'm immersed in that world. And so we're, this is going to be a twofold conversation. Uh, he's He's got about an hour. The doc has got about an hour with us. So we're going to try to get these in concisely, quickly, effectively, statistically, analytically driven, if you will. And then we're going to try to talk about some uh, some performance stuff too. So with no further ado, your pinned tweet as of now is a Cam Akers tweet. What you say in the tweet is Akers is a hard pass for me when he's going where he's going in redraft now. The Achilles historically has dropped RB production for multiple years after injury. Our algorithm projects him not near full strength until halfway through 22. I'd like you, Doc, to tell me a little bit more about your stance on Acres, and tell me where he should be going in terms of his ADP. And then I honestly would really like to get a little bit of your insight into why an Achilles tear is not the same as an ACL tear and sort of your perspective as the person operating on these individuals. It's a great question and a topic that's been coming up especially with Akers and James Robinson both having the similar type of injury. Uh, with Akers, you know, you you look at the Achilles and what what you're seeing in general in uh, NFL data is about a year for most players to return. And we saw Akers come back in six months, which is remarkable in itself. But part of the reason that players don't return that fast isn't so much re-injury rate as it is that they're just not as explosive yet. And so what we saw with Akers, if you look at his stats from his comeback last year versus when his he was prior to injury the previous year, they're a completely different player. He was averaging less than three yards a carry this past season, whereas he was flying through defenses, averaging over four yards a carry in the playoffs uh, the previous year. So with Akers, we're looking at a player who's probably around probably was around 70% of himself when he came back. And what we build into our algorithm is time from injury, the player's pre-perform, pre-injury performance, his uh, athletic metrics, all these sorts of things go in. And it tells us that we're probably looking at an 85% player optimistically at the start of this coming season. And now we're he's being drafted at RB16, plus he has Daryl Henderson, and they drafted a rookie. So we're not exactly looking at a clear workhorse running back role. And that, in addition to his injury status, is a little bit sketch to me to draft at RB16 when you have guys like Saquon at 18 and Dobbins, who we'll talk about later. But there's just a lot of talent left in the pool at that point. So as an orthopedic surgeon, I think you can very... Uh, eloquently describe for us the difference between, for example, an ACL, let's say J.K. Dobbins, and an Achilles tear like Cam Akers and James James Robinson, and the differences in explosiveness and power, and why those, why that dissonance 
exists between those two types of injuries and why an ACL isn't exactly like an Achilles. Could you describe that a little bit, please? Yeah, absolutely. It's with an ACL. I think the main issue with the injury and the surgery is how much it weakens the quad muscle. And the quad is going to be huge, obviously, for player speed. But with the Achilles, where it is connecting the calf muscle to the ankle, it is hugely important in quickness and explosiveness. And when you're looking at players in the NBA and the NFL, they both leagues show that there's a drop off in performance for players that lasts more than a year with the Achilles. It's actually in some cases last for the rest of their careers, but for younger players, they do tend to eventually bounce back with the ACL. The tr general trend tends to be that because it takes a while to regain that quad strength. And as you know, the neuromuscular coordination, basically the sinking of the muscles firing for explosive movements all at the same time, uh, that happens, that has to be retrained after ACL surgery. That takes a while, but it usually comes back in the first year, around about one year post-op. So the second year post-ACL surgery is usually one that's seen to have similar performance levels to where the player was pre-injury, whereas the Achilles, unless the player is young, which luckily Cam Akers is, they don't tend to make it all the way back there, or if they do, it takes much longer. Right. So essentially what we're looking at is a difference in the physiology and, and the recoveries in an injury. And I think that's the biggest difference that people should really try to, to, to pay attention to is that an injury is not an injury, right? An ACL compared to another ACL is never going to be the same thing. An Achilles to another Achilles is never going to be the same. And just like that, an Achilles is never going to be anything near similar to, to an ACL tear. And so it's not apples to apples. In fact, it's probably apples to, I don't know, pineapples or yeah, apples to totally. books. It's never the same thing. And so with this data that you're citing, it just, I don't think you're saying, oh yeah, Cam Akers is a bust. He's going to be out of the league. Like, of course, that's not what we're saying. He's obviously going to get the opportunity because he, he was shown to get the opportunity when he was in there in the playoffs. And both things can be true. We can be extremely excited as healthcare professionals and people immersed in this performance world is like, holy crap, this dude came back in you know, seven months or whatever it was. But we also have to keep in mind that we can also look at the seven month mark, look at his efficiency in the playoffs and say, well, yeah, I mean, he looks like a guy who came back from an Achilles tear seven months after the Achilles tear. Now, the question I have is, is there a difference between somebody, for example, like Cam Akers versus somebody like James Robinson as it relates to maybe the surgical procedures that each had and their ability to return? Well, you know, it, the surgical procedure that they both had is probably, if not identical, very close to it. The Achilles, when it tears, it basically, you have a tendon stump that's on the part still attached to the ankle, and then you have a stump of tendon that's attached to the muscle that sort of pulls back or retracts. And the surgery is essentially sewing both ends of that together with strong sutures. And uh, you can use a variety of different techniques, but essentially that's what the surgery entails. The recovery from that is all about getting the tendon to heal, but also regaining that strength that it takes to explode off of that ankle for a running back. Now, there's no reason to expect that James Robinson has to be a lot longer of a timeline for return than Cam Akers was. But again, the key is how fast can the player regain his performance? So returning to the sport is what Cam Akers did, but I don't think it's fair to say that he returned to his prior performance levels just based on comparing his production pre-injury versus post. And now with James Robinson, you're looking at a guy who tore his uh, Achilles late in the season, uh, all the way in December. So if he comes back in the nine-month range, which would be quite realistic, really, you're still not probably looking at 100% of James Robinson until at least about uh, three months beyond that. The other part to keep in mind is that James Robinson is a little older than Cam Akers, and he's not prohibitively old. But uh, the age does factor in. Younger guys do tend to bounce back a little faster from the NFL data standpoint. Uh, not to say that that's 
necessarily going to make a huge difference, but I think the Cam Akers trajectory actually does inform the James Robinson trajectory. So that's why I'm not that high on Robinson to start the year either. And I, I want to get you, that's a perfect segue to our next guy, but I also don't want this question to escape me. What do you think, and this is sort of a nerd to nerd question. This, is, this might be, this might not be interesting to the listeners, but I'm sure. wondering, what do you think the chances are that somebody like Akers, for example, had the percutaneous pinning versus an open repair? And how do you, yes. how common is that procedure versus, because you would be well, more well-versed on this than I am. Sure. The, I would think that the folks who are doing this surgery, generally speaking, the, the folks, folks who are doing this through the percutaneous or essentially the minimally invasive techniques, they're doing a lot of these Achilles ruptures and Achilles repairs rather than uh, the folks who are doing a medium amount are probably doing the open uh, procedure where they're making a full incision. Mm. And so with uh, James Robinson and Cam Akers being of course, the type of athlete that can fly around to whoever they want for their surgery. My guess is that they both had the percutaneous, the minimally invasive style of procedure, but ultimately the outcomes are pretty similar from both. And it wouldn't really surprise me uh, if there was one had an open and one had the uh, minimally invasive. Ultimately, I think for patients, the real, the only real difference is the incision size but uh, the recovery is essentially the same. Okay, that was enough of the nerd question. To put a, <laughs> a to put a bow on this conversation on Achilles and Cam Akers, I just want to cite this tweet that I uh, had during the playoffs. I cite it quite often, and from what it sounds like, it doesn't sound like it's a coincidence, Doc. This is, um, I'll just read the tweet word for word. This was back in January, January 27th. I said, I've seen this argument a lot. Uh, in terms of something about cam makers and having three to four penalties called back uh, during the playoffs. I've seen this argument a lot, but these things happen. Even so, since returning among those with at least 20 attempts in the playoffs, cam makers is last in EPA per attempt, last in points above replacement, third to last in expected points added above average, and third to last in points earned per play. If you look at cam makers' numbers, his efficiency numbers, and sort of the more advanced analytics, he was not great. He was not great, and it doesn't sound like it was a coincidence. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be bad. It doesn't mean that he's going to, to totally plummet your fantasy team. But I think it's definitely at least a pause. It, it, it leads to a pause of concern if you're going with him as your RB1, I would say. I would Another guy. fully agree with that. Perfect. Another guy. Speaking of James Robinson, speaking of that backfield. Another guy we have is Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne, of course, coming off the Liz Frank. And I love having these guys to talk about with you as an orthopedic surgeon, because we can get your perspective, your thoughts and, and your insights on this. Now he did have the Liz Frank injury uh, back in August of 2021. He missed his entire rookie season. So can you talk a little bit about what procedure he probably had, what the numbers say about his return and maybe some residual hardware that may or may not be in there. And just your overall thoughts on Travis Etienne. Sure. Yeah. The list ranks a hard recovery. It's a hard injury to, for players to gain all of their explosiveness back from, uh, probably what he had is a fixation of a fracture, or if there's, uh, no fracture, sometimes they basically put hardware across the joint that is unstable in the midfoot. He probably still has that in there. Usually, unless there's a problem, people don't necessarily plan to remove it, but uh, in either case, the return for these players takes on average 10 to 11 months, which for him, again, you said his, his injury was in August. And that's pretty good news because even if he's on the higher end of that, 11, 12 months still gives him plenty of time to be ready for week one. And it sounds like he's on that trajectory. In terms of his performance, though, there is usually a dip post Liz Frank for at least one year in uh, the database that we have and it is somewhat limited because there's not a ton of players who have this uh and have at least have publicly announced what the injury is but we do see players bounce back and especially things that favor a bounce back are his young age obviously only this is his second year in the league and the fact that he's 80th percentile approximately for the explosiveness categories the quickness categories that you look at in terms of his athletic metrics before injury, 
these things work in his favor very much so in fact and they they do tell us that he should be nearly the same quality of player he was before it may take him a little bit of time about a, a month or two into the season to really get there but my anticipation would be Travis Etienne at roughly RB 20 or 25 is where he's going right now to me that is a steal based on his current projections I think that I've come around on him quite a bit. Uh, I think mainly, primarily, because he has very little competition in that backfield. We know he's going to be lining up at least a little bit at wide receiver. And we know, you just talked about James Robinson and his potential trajectory isn't great. So all of those things adding up, uh, the only concerns I have is the fact that he is basically still a rookie. And if we take him and look at him from a skill acquisition perspective, we look at him more so from a functional perspective you know, job task specific situation. We know that he hasn't seen NFL action, at least not real games. He hasn't been in an NFL huddle. He doesn't know what the grind of week 14, 15, 16 is yet. His body is still going to be adjusting to the workloads. And the bottom line is he didn't play football for an entire year. So even though I just painted that picture, are you taking all those things into consideration, Doc? Or is that something that despite those things, you're still sort of in on that RB20, RB25 uh, uh, ADP. Cause I think I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, ultimately the thing for running backs to me comes down to talent level, which I think for him is, even though he didn't play last year, still projects relatively high. He was a second round pick after all. And beyond that opportunity for young guys, opportunity is everything. And Travis Etienne in his backfield is obviously James Robinson. But like we talked about the Achilles, this close to the start of the uh, the season for James Robinson having torn in December, you're looking at about nine months in he's at best, probably 80% of himself. So you're in my eyes, I'm giving the ball to Travis Etienne on most of those touches and perhaps they'll bring in another player or find somebody on the roster who will sort of split the backfield, which is obviously the trend more so in the NFL, but like you said, ETN's going to get touches as a wide receiver as well, obviously carrying the ball in addition. So I think he's a pretty fair shot to be a high-level RB1. I think that's fair. I think that that is definitely his ceiling. And de- the fact that he's going at RB20 to 25, I think, is is really where that price is, is attractive for me. So I think we agree on that specifically. Speaking of another NFL running back, we have another guy, and this is your specific area of expertise. One, because you dealt with a torn ACL, as you told me. I'm sorry. I hope that <laughs> didn't offend any, any. It didn't offend you by telling uh, people that. We can take it out if I did. Uh, of course, we want to respect your HIPAA. No, no. Talk, <laughs> How, talk away. However, you also had publication. You're a, a published author, and it's the, the paper came out in 2021, and the name of it is Return to Sport Following Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction, the argument for a multimodal approach to optimize decision-making current concepts. So ACLs are your jam, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, sort of your jam. No, You've done a ton it. of research. Yep. And so I want to know, I just want to tee you up. J.K. Dobbins. When I say J.K. Dobbins, August ACL, with no other further context because we really have none, what are your thoughts? I say J.K. Dobbins is an interesting case study, and I'm in on him. His part of it obviously has to do with his value at ADP around 24 right now for Dobbins. To me, that's a floor for him as long as the Ravens don't totally surprise us with opportunity. So if you look at his uh, his trend, the ACL tends to have a dip in the running back production for the first year back. But then the things that work in a player's favor for a strong bounce back from the ACL are young age, which he does have high draft slot. Also he does have. And then the fact that he was injured all the way back in August. So we're already giving him 12 or 13 months by the time the season starts. So with Dobbins 12 to 14 months is around the time when I would expect him to be around his pre-injury baseline. And given all of this, there's one more fact that's even more convincing and the thing that a lot of the players who come out of an ACL reconstruction and have a strong year, that first year back, have in common is elite athleticism. And J.K. Dobbins, if you look back 
you he didn't run at the NFL Combine, so you have to look back to his high school uh, testing. But the Nike Spark scores, which are basically a, a surrogate for overall athleticism, for him, he had the best score of any prospect of his at his position that year. And sure, that was all the way back in high school, but things those things don't generally change drastically, or at least they don't drastically fall off for a guy who's had his trajectory. So all the signs are for him to recover smoothly. The only thing that could could really throw this off is if the Ravens decide that Gus Edwards or somebody else is going to be their bell cow running back, or they're really truly going to split the backfield in half. But they drafted Dobbins high. You would think they did that for a reason. And all of the factors tell me that Dobbins should make it back pretty strongly. I like it. I like it. I 100% agree. Last year, I was pounding the table for Saquon Barkley um, for that exact reason. All of those factors that you just listed, and not to say that J.K. Dobbins is Saquon Barkley by any stretch of the imagination, but I think any margin or difference in margin from when you would include Saquon into that and bring Jake and where sort of those lines start to blend is is the exact thing you mentioned, the time. The time that Dobbins has had between his ACL surgery and the beginning of the season probably closes any marginal gap that existed between the two and so it obviously all depends on what the ravens do right you sort of left that in there you definitely said you know can't predict what the ravens are going to do but we do predict that a guy with high draft capital elite athleticism who had more than a year to rehab from an injury is going to be ready so i like that call i like that call doc the other the other guy that we want to hit on and i just mentioned is saquon barkley i'd love to get your take on saquon barkley i my stance is Saquon was well on his way to smash. I, I, I cited over and over again. I won't cite it again. Go look at his weeks one through four if you're curious uh, what he was doing based on the percentage of snaps and where he finished in terms of fantasy points. Now that he's in a hopefully rejuvenated offense, hopefully taking more snaps at wide receiver, sort of like we've seen on Twitter from the Beats, is he somebody that you're concerned of? Is your algorithm flagging anything that you're necessarily concerned of? If you remember, that ankle injury was him stepping on a defender's foot, sort of fluky, right? Totally. Is there anything you're specifically concerned about that is driving you to pass on Saquon Barkley into the third round? No, I'm all in on Saquon Barkley. If I can get him in round three, that is without a music to my me. ears. This podcast is now over. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. Continue, continue. My man. Yeah, I mean, it really is true that if you can get Saquon in round three, to me, you're getting RB1 there. And the the man is clearly going to get three down touches. He they're already talking about using him as a receiver. Brian Dable cannot be a downgrade compared to who they had last year in Joe Judge. And if you're looking at uh, actually even last year, I don't think it was an injury issue that led Saquon to underperform as much as it was the team around him. There's uh, a, a a friend of mine who's in the uh, injury in the data analytics side of uh, football, Ted Seth, who used to work at PFF and now is kind of doing his own thing. He built a model and it's published online about expected yards and yards over expected, basically meaning expected yards is how the, uh, how the players um, teams contributed to his production and yards over expected is how the player himself out outplayed that production. And uh, so if you look at how his team contributed, he was fourth lowest among players with 150 carries or more in 2021. And you, it tells you essentially that Saquon didn't have opportunity. He didn't have running holes to go through. Now, if you look at him, the ACL data is pretty convincing that the second year after the, the surgery is when players tend to reach their norms. And for Saquon, he's primed for uh, for this to happen now because he had an early season, I believe it was week two injury back in the day uh, in the previous year. And uh, now he's two years out from that. He's looking at a really strong addition in Evan Neal an upgrade in the coach. And again, they're talking about using him as a receiver, which bodes well for all running backs, but in general for players using getting touches as a receiver is a huge win 
because it decreases their injury risk relative to rushing the ball. So all of those things factored in for me, Saquon, I would even take him in round two, to be honest. Let's go. Let's go. I I think yet that strongly about the talent level there. And then uh, again, you know, it's hard for me to look, overlook the fact that players tend to drop off their first year after ACL and then bounce back year two. Let's go. Let's go. So here's what I want, I'm going to say about the Giants. Put a bow on this this conversation, too. Uh, you mentioned their offense and how bad it was. So this is per Sports Info, SIS. Uh, it, this was something I tweeted back in December. So the Giants had the eighth worst A dot. They were seventh worst in points earned per play. They had a negative 38 points above average. So that's wow. sixth worst in the league. They were fifth worst in EPA. They were sixth worst in adjusted net yards per attempt they were a bottom eight offense for 2021 and you cannot escape that that is just inescapable so i think that totally matches up with what you're saying so yeah and you know i have a lot of buddies who i are they are diehard giant fans and as a result that is music to my ears all of those numbers that you just quoted but i i can't imagine them being at least not average adding a first round pick to the O-line and a new coach. Exactly. And there's, I mean, there's nowhere to go, but up, right? I mean, that's right. so bad. Exactly. I mean, once you adjust for standard deviations and, and, and variance and if, and you know, uh, everything you have to adjust for that was, I mean, you could argue they were just one of the handful of worst teams in the entire league. Like there's literally nowhere to go, but up for that offense. Totally. So this next guy, and again, we'll stick with your expertise here. I want to talk about, because we've been seeing, you know, I think, let me tell you, doc, I think that if you're an NFL player and your agent isn't getting out to everybody and their dog that you are ahead of schedule the second you get out of surgery, I think they're doing you a disservice. So yeah. I'd like to, I'd like you to talk to me a little bit about Jamison Williams, who said he'd be totally cleared by July. I'd like to talk about the I'd like you to talk about the chances of that happening and the more likely chances that you believe will will go down with Jamison Williams and his return and what to expect. Remember, he had surgery, I think, approximately January 13th. Yeah. So, you know, again, the, the NFL average for wide receivers for ACLs is going to be 10 months. As you said, if your agent and your surgeon and whoever else is on your team, isn't out there talking favorably about your comeback early on, then what are they doing? It's as from my perspective, if, if an athlete wants me to say something publicly positively, that's fine. I will say it, (laughs) but but uh, if you're looking at the early return timetables, those are still theoretically as early as six months as possible. But as you know, real functional testing keeps players out for usually eight to nine months at least. And then given the fact that he's young and they just invested a lot to get him, the Lions aren't likely to rush him back and risk anything happening to that reconstructed knee. So I have a question for you. I've, I'm, for I'm sure. sorry. I'm going to interrupt. Go ahead. As an orthopedic surgeon, right? You're going to be totally fully on your own basically in the next year, right? One uh-huh. to two years. You're basically already on your own, right? You know how to make these decisions. You walk through these strategies in your head. You reflect on cases. You have to talk about cases. You research cases. Oh. Uh, you're the lead on these things. How many surgeons do you know, and include yourself in, in this question, would allow their NFL caliber athlete to go out and perform unrestricted contact football activity before nine months. If you had to count maybe cases you've seen or maybe surgeons, you know, that would be okay with that. So usually I would say that it, what surgeons do in uh, pretty much all the surgeons that I work with tell their patients that biologically before six months is reckless. So do not go back to any sort of contact activity before six months. After six months, we generally wouldn't prohibit you from coming back, but would, but what I would do is recommend against it. And the reason is that the quadriceps strength and the just overall lower extremity coordination usually isn't back there yet. But what we really do is turn it over to the expertise of of people in your field and say, we are now looking at this player or this athlete as a potential return to sport candidate. Let's do functional testing and see where they are relative to their other side and relative to 
if we are lucky enough to have numbers on them pre-injury and let's see how they perform and how they look to your experienced eye. And that's where then you can tell the athlete, look, you can return theoretically, biologically, but just looking at your numbers and your performance and how you're moving, it's probably not ready for that. And if you don't mind me giving a little plug for uh, an app that we're working on uh, called Sportsman Analytics for Athletes, the idea of it is exactly this, that we can make this more objective and evidence-based. And so we're studying this up at Stanford, but going to take a motion analysis app that we've developed and look at people's motion and say, are you ready or are you not? And compare it to your other side, compare it to the norm for age and size and, and really see where athletes are uh, in terms of their return to sport readiness. Exactly. So I think that you nailed it, you know, talking about what is plausible versus what is possible versus what is safe. And I think it's really interesting, you know, using the word reckless before six months is I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that you look at a, a dude whose quad probably took, what would you say, doc? That quad probably took three months, four months, you know, in some cases, even five months to totally come back from that arthrogenic inhibition, that neuromuscular shutdown. I mean, totally. just that brain block, right? Like that probably took about that long. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, at least three months, probably more like four or five. And so you're talking four or five months post-op and you probably don't have full strength before four or five months trying to come back at month six when we know that strength true strength adaptations don't happen until at least six to eight weeks oftentimes until another 12 weeks it just would not make any sense from and sort of this is now talking from my side right like it just would not make sense that anybody any human <laughs> would be yeah. able to get that power back get that uh, force production back be able to move in a way that's efficient effective and mechanically sound it just it just doesn't make sense i know i'm sort of on a soapbox here because i've been so frustrated with these you know ahead of schedule ahead of schedule reports and it's just yeah we'll just we'll just uh we'll take it we'll play it by ear understanding that at least nine months i think is reasonable and if we place jameson williams at at least that nine month mark that still puts him in the middle of september i believe actually that puts him i'm sorry that puts him in october Right. So any, any thought that he could be back by week one, I think is pretty tough. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't, I don't put any stock into, like you said, the agents and the coaches saying he's ahead of schedule because as soon as you, as soon as I meet a person in the clinic room, uh, that person, I become part of their recovery team. And so do you as a coach and as a therapist, uh, physical therapist come on helping them on their way back. So why wouldn't you tell everyone that your team is doing great? That <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Total morale killer to not. Exactly. And, you know, exactly. so I'm with you on pretty much everything you said. I think realistically, we're probably looking at at least 10 months is, is realistic if he wants to push it. But 100%. I would also not be surprised to see him a little bit later than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I did want to cover Godwin and I did want to cover Woods and I sure. did want to cover and uh, those those two guys in particular because of that ACL concept. But I think we hit on them perfectly. And so you mentioned a lot of the, the themes, I think, that are beautifully said. You know, you're not going to get these guys before the nine month mark. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely you're going to get them before the nine month mark. If you go to fantasypoints.com uh, over at the injury tracker, I have the estimated projected dates. I have the soonest date for all three of these guys, Jameson Williams, Godwin, and Woods, listed as then about the nine-month mark from their injury. Do not expect them back before that. I think it's highly unlikely. Uh, and, and so does the doc. The doc thing. The doc, the dude, I said this on Twitter, the dude who operates on the dude is telling <laughs> you when the dude is going to be back. So I think that's, that's beautifully stated. So we'll sort of bypass Godwin and Woods, and we'll talk about more so what do you expect from a wide receiver in their first year post-op ACL. Yeah, you know, it's that's a if I could give you a quick summary on that, it would be that I would I expect them usually around that 10 month time on average. And the thing is though, with a player like Godwin, he's younger and his athleticism marks him at around 80th percentile. So pretty high. 
then add that into the fact that he was highly productive pre-injury for him i actually expect a pretty good player but not until around mid-november based on the timing of his injury and then if you look at robert woods with him uh he's he tore his acl in november of 21 so average timeline puts him around mid-september he's saying he's on track for to start uh the season and to be there for minicamp and everything that's not crazy because he's older. He's nearing age 30. And some of these older guys really need to prove their durability is not an issue for them. So they're willing to push it and risk not being 100%. But the thing with Godwin that I do expect is a bounce back to production within the 12 to 15 months. Whereas with Robert Woods, his his combine percentiles, and obviously he's a, he's a freak athlete, but so is everyone else in the NFL. So his combine percentile is around 40th. So he's pretty up there in age and pretty down there in terms of his overall athletic metrics. So for me, he's not likely to really hit this season at full strength. Uh, And probably next year is when I would be talking about wanting to get Robert Woods on my team, but not so much this year. The last thing I want to talk about in terms of a timeline and what to expect is we've got OBJ. I have been rooting for this guy for a long time. I think that the narrative is built around him, that he's some team cancer or whatever. When we know that when you talk to most teammates that he's that have been around them is that they absolutely love the guy. Um, one of the things that I think was really cool was seeing him console Debo after the Rams beat the 49ers uh, in that yeah. playoff game. That was a cool moment, man. So like, I think that Odell's done a lot more growing up than people give him credit for. I think that from, I mean, I don't know the guy personally, but I just think he gets a bad rap. And so it was actually really, really freaking cool for me to see sort of his progression development success post-op ACL. That's the upside. The unfortunate part is he obviously tore the ACL in February during the Super Bowl. He, this would be a revision. Talk to me a little bit about a revision being, of course, for the audience that isn't aware. A revision is just basically a second tear. It's a re-tear of the same ACL that was torn before. Can you talk to me a little bit about a revision timeline, what you think that looks like for OBJ, and if we can even expect him in 2022? Yeah, so again, we're talking revision being the second tear. Uh, compared to the first, it takes three months longer on average. So first we said 10 months and with revisions, usually we're looking at 12 to 13 and OBJ of course tore in the Super Bowl. So as late as possible with that all being said, I I don't really expect him back this year at all. And we've been hearing a lot of things about him coming back in November. That's not out of the question, but it would be pretty unlikely. And even if he does come back, the fact that he was just starting to hit his groove uh, makes me think that if you were to look at his his muscle strength of his uh, torn side, that lower extremity is probably just was probably just hitting close to 100%, and now it's going to take this other hit of a more involved surgery. And uh, there's really no chance for me that I'm going to be trying to pick him up in any fantasy leagues, but unless they're a dynasty where I can keep him on an IR spot for a year. Now. Right. Uh, with the thing that does work in his favor is his elite athleticism. And we we did hear some reports that there was something wrong with the first surgery and perhaps the this second surgery is uh, actually going to extend his career. And that, frankly, is fake news, almost certainly. We are not ever really going to see higher r- results as a result of tearing your ACL a second time. So uh, with with OBJ, unfortunately, this year doesn't look very promising for him because of that extended timeline that it takes. And, you know, now he's likely to see, at least statistically likely to see shorter career, more missed games along the way than even if he were only a single ACL tear deep. So I expect him to get back to his pre-injury baseline, but probably around 15 to 18 months after injury so mid next year of course wish nothing but the best for obj super unfortunate to see these things these are never fun but uh, alas here we are talking about it because unfortunately it happened so i do want to talk about hopkins deandre hopkins d hop machine 
probably one of the best wide receivers when he's out there in the league. Um, but he's aging on, you know, he's, he's really hitting that age sort of decline at this point. We know he's dealing with the, with the suspension. I just sort of wanted to get your thoughts overall on Deandre Hopkins. Yeah. For me, Deandre Hopkins this year is actually a full buy. I, when he was out there last year, he was pretty good, but he had a fair amount of injuries here and there. And then at the end of the season, of course, he got shut down for MCL surgery. And that's not that common in the NFL, but it's not like the ACL. It's a six weeks of, of healing after surgery. And then about three months, you can start training pretty strongly again. And with the MCL, it's not something that you'd ex- expect to affect his performance when he comes back. And it's also not something that should cause a ton of durability issues this year or really in the next couple of years down the road. So for me, obviously factoring in the suspension is a different thing, but otherwise I would take DeAndre Hopkins as a wide receiver one, if it weren't for that suspension. All right. You heard it. You heard it here first. That's not what I was expecting you to say, but alas, <laughs> here we are. I hadn't looked into Hopkins myself, but yeah, definitely don't expect, uh, you know, it's nowhere near, it's an extra articular, right? So outside the joint procedure, you don't expect the same type of um, sort of, adverse effects you'd say as like an ACL it's not as an extensive of a procedure so unless you correct me if I'm wrong no you're exactly right and the biggest difference is like you said it's not inside the joint so in the ACL to reconstruct it you got to take a graft from somewhere and that's one hit to the knee and then the second knee hit is that you have to get the graft into the joint you have to drill through the joint twice and with this you just don't have to do that so it's it's a huge difference in terms of how the knee responds and recovers moving on to quarterbacks here we got a couple that i want to touch on and we honestly already sort of touched on in an indirect manner Jameis winston coming off the acl he tore it on i believe it was either halloween or the day before halloween uh, i have him currently projected to, to to be ready july 31st august 1st which would be right at that nine month mark the functional demands for a quarterback are much different than they are for a running back or wide receiver which is why we saw joe burrow be able to return i think it was right at that like nine months and 10 days ish mark for um for even though his knee injury was relatively catastrophic uh based on reports so quarterbacks are are obviously able to come back a little bit sooner and easier you got what do you got on Jameis winston yeah, James Winston, I very much agree with you. He's likely to be back in action around August, uh, pretty much at full strength. And the quarterback performance has been studied, and it doesn't really drop after this type of injury. So especially, he's not a running quarterback as much as even a Joe Burrow is. So for a pocket player like Winston, uh, re-injury rates are low, his uh, timeline is favorable, and his production should be right about where where you would expect it to be if he hadn't gotten injured. Another quarterback that we want to touch on too here is last guy is Matthew Stafford, who apparently was dealing with elbow issues last year. Um, I don't even really know. I remember reading one report that he recently, he either had an injection or he had an aspiration. I'm not entirely sure what you have on Matthew Stafford and what that elbow issue is right now. You don't typically see elbow issues, at least not as often as you do in baseball pitchers and quarterbacks. Right. So I'm kind of curious what your take is on on where Matthew Stafford's at, what this injury might be, and how it might impact him in 2022. Yeah, you know, Matt Stafford, the more I look into this, it's it's not nothing. And not throwing at OTAs doesn't necessarily concern me for most players, but the thing about it is getting an injection in the and then having to wear a brace and a sling in uh, after the injection sort of hints to me that they're really trying to rest this area. Uh, what my thought is that this is like a partial, essentially a partial tear of uh, the same ligament that gets injured with, in Tommy John for baseball players. And those can recover over time, but they usually aren't something you'd have to baby along for many months if they're recovering. So it's possible that this is all just precautionary and that he's going to be just fine. But we we really have to keep an eye on Matt Stafford and how this progresses. Not saying that he necessarily has to have 
any sort of procedure to fix this. It's not, it doesn't sound like anything is frankly torn or unstable in the elbow. But again, again, this is having an anti-inflammatory injection uh, and then not being able to throw or not, not wanting to throw three months later is a little bit, is a little bit concerning for me. What is your gut feel on the specifics of what could be happening with him. What do you, I mean, in a worst case scenario, right? If we play the game, worst case scenario, which we hope is not the case. I mean, I'm thinking something like intra-articular, something sort of a joint related, doesn't really ever go away. They kind of have to manage his volume. I mean, is that kind of the worst case scenario or what is what, what do you think uh, is the worst extent of this injury that fantasy managers could kind of keep in mind? I think the worst case scenario here would be it could be something intra-articular. Although in my eyes for a thrower, the thing that would really stand out is the uh, ulnar collateral ligament. So the same, again, the same ligament as Tommy John. The worst case scenario would be something that is frankly torn. And then that means surgery out for about a year. And the best case scenario is uh, a partial tear. And, and I think that's really likely what we're dealing with here. Uh, again, most, most likely not throwing at OTAs is, is just a precaution, but it's uh, the type of injury that has to be watched and oftentimes has to be even re-imaged to make sure that it's trending in the right direction. And as long as it is, which, I, which usually they do, and, and you would suspect that if there were a high-grade tear or even a chance of that Matt Stafford was going to need surgery, he would have had it essentially immediately after the season. But I'm thinking that's probably what's going on rather than something intra-articular. But you're right. If it's something intra-articular, it may not go away that easily. So my gut feeling on Matt Stafford based on pretty limited reports is, is that he's going to be fine. It's something that's going to heal itself with a little bit more time, and this is probably a precaution. But again, it, there are a lot of worst-case scenarios here where he could end up in surgery or with an issue that is not healing itself. So in that case, we, we would just make sure we want to watch this because as fantasy players and as sports gamblers, we're obviously heavily invested in the Rams. Obviously heavily invested in the Rams. I don't The one thing I worry about doc is how Matthew Stafford uses his fork and his, his knives and his, his arm, you know, to, to drink his coffee and his orange juice when he goes to breakfast with Cooper <laughs> Cup if that elbow's really bothering him. So we hope that he heals it up. I mean, we hope that he can he can start to to you know get on those traditional breakfasts with Cooper Cup. Because we know that is why they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you know, I think now they have a Allen Robinson invited to the table too. So you definitely don't want don't want any yeah. issues. But yeah. You're gonna uh, need elbow room at those breakfast tables now. Yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of big elbows there. So we've gone 48 minutes, Doc. You've given some fantastic insights uh, as an orthopedic surgeon into some of these guys that are coming back based on an analytical and experience-based analysis. Is there anything else you want to add from the fantasy perspective? You know, I think I think the main things to keep in mind are that every player is a little bit different. And uh, that may be intuitive, but, you know, looking at uh, ACLs for like we talked about Godwin, Woods, OBJ, it's very different than looking at the situation and the outlook for, let's say, Saquon or J.K. Dobbins. So, you know, every player you got to take with a little bit of, a, of an individualized twist. And then the other part of it is that even when we project all these things, you have to look at their, their value. So fantasy is very much like a, an economics math problem where you got to optimize your drafting poor position. So uh, that those are kind of the things to keep in mind. And like you said, we're rooting for everybody to have an awesome comeback from their injuries. Cause that's what we do. But beyond that, you know, we, we do want to be right. So we are projecting as best as we can, uh, based on somewhat limited information sometimes, but a lot of data out there to, uh, to back up some of these claims. Yeah. When, I think the most frustrating thing for me is, at least on the Twitter sphere, and I've said this before, is, you know, I don't go and comment on engineers' opinion 
about <laughs> how they structured a building. And, you know, I don't try to discuss with an orthopedic surgeon the exact technical procedures and tools to use during an ACL reconstruction. You know, I just find it a little funny. And by funny, I mean annoying when <laughs> you'll get somebody in not in the field of performance rehab medicine or physical therapy commenting on, you know, analysis, projections, whatever may be due to, you know, related to injuries and their primary use of, um, evidence or their primary evidence is just, you know, well, I had this injury once and it's really frustrating, but we bear our teeth and we keep doing it and we do it because a, we love what our primary job is. We love putting out content that's injury related performance based and B we're also low key fantasy football degenerates. So I think that's what we can, we can step away with and with that knowledge. Yeah, I'm with you 100%, except for the low-key part. I'm all in on <laughs> I love that. I love, I love that. It. Been loving it and probably can continue for the rest of time. Thank you so much for joining me, joining us, Doc, on this podcast. I think it's going to be super informative for the listeners. And um, if they don't want to take my word for it, you basically were just a, a confirmation bias sounding machine for me today. So thank you so much for coming on. Make sure you follow him. I don't want to mess up your Twitter handle. It is at sports md and analysis i'm sorry at sport md analysis i always want to say sports med analysis but it's sport md analysis pretty clever there uh on yeah, twitter well, gotta fit it within the character limit that's right and then that's that's the same sport md analysis uh instagram tiktok uh everywhere else right uh those ones are all just sports med analytics they give you a few more letters to work ah, with yes, so twitter Twitter. Uh, Twitter but yeah, you search us up on uh, you can search sports med analytics on any platform and should come up but uh, yeah, we, I, I had a blast talking injuries with you, Edwin. We will definitely do this again soon. Absolutely. And next time we'll talk a little bit more performance and maybe keep it on that side of things. Cause I'd love to get your opinion there too. Thanks yeah, again. Totally. Tom. For sure.